Hey everybody, Joe here. Welcome to another Amped interview. You know, we're certainly glad to have you back for another one. As you may have noticed, we have just, gosh, a ton of stuff to share with you. Notably, a lot of interviews from my time at CMS Northwest. If you want to jump the line, you can head over and listen to those on our SoundCloud account. There's still a few we haven't posted there yet, and I still uh, intend to do some cleanup. But in the meantime, we got a chance to sit down with James Mead of Cutlass. Dan chatted with him actually just yesterday, which is uh, Tuesday, December 1st. And uh, we went ahead and let him jump the line. He's a local guy to me, just uh, living about, I don't know, I guess five miles away from me in uh, Oregon City, Oregon. I'm in West Lynn. And ironically, Dan was the guy that uh, that lined up the interview and got a chance to chat with him. So, hey, maybe I'll get a chance to grab coffee with uh, James at some point. Anyway, great conversation between Dan and James, chatting not just about the the new Cutlass album, which came out last month, November 2015, but also talking about ministry and the nature, really, of Cutlass as a band and why ministry is just so very important to them. And they also get into the End of the Age Ministries, which is a nonprofit that John Micah and James founded a couple of years ago. So spend some time with Dan and James and learn a little bit more about why Cutlass is the band that we really love. Take care. We'll talk to you on the next interview. Frequency.fm presents The Amped Interview. All right. Hey, everybody. It's Dan Thompson from the Frequency Podcast, and I am delighted to be able to talk with James Mead from the band Cutlass. How are you doing? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? I'm great, and actually, I'm I'm encouraged because uh, we get to talk to you. Uh, we've talked to previous members of the band in the past, and my partner in crime, Joe, lives in West Lynn, Portland, Oregon area, which is is more the band stopping ground, is it not? It is, and in fact, he and I live very, very close to each other. That is super close. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, now, um, as far as history goes, the band. Uh, sort of all went to the same church. Is it Ethy Creek Church? Did I get that right? Yeah, it's Athy Creek. Athy. Okay. I asked yeah. Joe about this ahead of time, and I said, <laughs> "I'm a Canadian. I don't know the church or Portland. Is yeah. it is it Athy?" And he said, "No, it's Ethy." Yes. <laughs> so I need to hold him to account. Yeah. All, all right. right. It's you know it's nothing fancy. It's not like a a, a hidden like Bible nuance or anything. It's um, <laughs> we when we started as a church, um, man, probably seventeen eighteen years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, we first started meeting at this middle school um, in Tualatin, Oregon, and the middle school is called Athey Creek Middle School because there's a creek okay. around the back that's called Athey Creek. <laughs> <laughs> We were like, well, our church meets here, so let's call it Athey Creek Christian Fellowship. And uh, and now, all these years later, um, the Lord has just done really mighty things, uh, especially considering the fact that it's in Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. um, being the least churched state in all of America and the least amount of Christians per capita. Um, it's an incredible incredible miracle to look at all the things that are that the Lord has done through our church and we now have a, our own building um, which is within the last year okay um, on some property kind of across the 
freeway from that old middle school. So we can see it and we can see where the Lord took us from and where he's brought us. And it's really cool. So yeah, that's where I go to church. No, that's great. And, um, as far as the band goes, because I don't know all the guys personally, obviously, um, are you guys are you <laughs> are you guys all still sort of networked in the same location, or do you live in different parts? You know, that's such a funny question nowadays. Uh, I'm actually the only one that still lives in Portland. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, fair uh, enough. Our singer John Micah Summerall. Yep. He and I uh, are the two original guys in the band still. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, back in 2001, when we started the band, um, we literally all lived in a house together in southeast Portland. Okay. Uh, on a campus at a college there called Warner Pacific. And, um, yeah, we all lived in this house and we jammed down in the basement. And, um, you know, some of us had classes to go to and I had a, a job at um, – the mall nearby the local mm-hmm. mall. and um that's actually where we were discovered quote unquote um i was at work one day and um this fellow walked in and i was just kind of helping him as a customer and um i was wearing one of those what would jesus do bracelets which caused a conversation to begin nice. which is super cool because i think that's what those were really for is like to start conversations mm-hmm. um and in Portland, when you find another Christian out in public, you kind of like celebrate together. First, <laughs> you're like, "Sweet, more of us exist." Yes. And uh, so he goes, "Oh, dude, cool bracelet. Are you a Christian?" I was like, "Yeah, man." So we just started talking for a bit and um, found out that like our churches were down the street from each other, and his dad started this church and I was like, Oh yeah, I know that big church. That's cool. And, uh, Oh yeah, I know this family, you know them too. Um, and then, uh, got to the point in the conversation where I was like, well, you know, I actually just moved up here to Portland to, uh, live with some friends and we're a band and we're just writing music together. We're a Christian band. And he goes, Oh, cool. I'd love to hear you sometime because my brother is Brandon Ebel, the owner of Tooth and Nail Records. <laughs> nice. And I was like, all right, sweet. So <laughs> he came over to our house in Southeast, and it was actually um, September 11th of 2001. Wow. And um, we woke up that morning like really excited to audition for a label. Mm-hmm. Um, and have this dude come over and see what God was going to do through this relationship. And then, um, you know, we got our cereal and turned on the news. Yeah. And we're just like, you wow. know, devastated. Like, dude, what's going on? And at that point in the morning, if you remember, like nobody really knew what was going on. Oh, I remember. Wow. Yeah. Like, well, was it an accident? And then the second plane hit the second tower and everyone was like, well, this can't be an accident. Mm-hmm. And it started coming out that it was an attack. And, you know, we were just like, dude, what is going on? Yeah. Um, crying. I remember my girlfriend, who is my wife now, came over and was just like, you know, we were just crying. We were just like, what? You know. Yeah. Uh, Seth came over anyway that day. And we sat together and prayed. And we played some songs down in our basement. And then um, he loved it. And he loved us. And he called his brother and was like, Hey, this is, this is the band we've been looking for. 
And honestly, everything came about super quickly after that. Um, I think it was 13 days later, we were recording with Aaron Sprinkle, our first record. Yeah. Yeah. So now would you, would you say that you had enough songs for an album at the time? Yeah, we did. Wow. Well, and that actually bleeds into what I was going to talk about today, which is cool. Yeah. Because you have worked with Aaron since sort of the beginning, obviously. Um, then there was a bit of a departure and I know you worked with Ian Esklin as well. Yeah. We've worked with a a handful of producers, um, Pete Kipley, Chris Stevens, Dave Lubin, Ian Esklin. Yeah. A lot of people. Yeah, because what I wanted to talk about, because I'm more uh, producer type, so of course my brain always goes to those questions. Um, Yeah, you got an opportunity to dive in a little deeper on this album. Um, And if people don't know what we're talking about, the album is Surrender. Uh, Mm -hmm. It it was released November 13th, I believe. Yes. Um, And you you just came off tour, didn't you? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) okay. So, uh, but going back in time then, back to the production of it, uh, which is what I'm interested in. You, I know I read through some of your bio, and it was very specific. Um, you're you're specific about the enjoyment of the process of it that you dove deeper into it. Um, how did that come about? Was it something that you asked, or was it something that was kind of encouraged as a member of the band? So, John, Micah, and myself, as I just said in in, in previously, yeah. um, we started the band and. Uh, Nowadays, we're the only two originals. So when we started making this record, um, we really felt like we should just go back to kind of the early days where he and I wrote music together. Um, And my brain thinks more music and his brain thinks more lyrics and melody. And when he writes a song, he usually has a melody idea first and then he'll just kind of like grab an acoustic and sort of just strum just chords that go along with it just to kind of get like a key, like what key he's going to sing it in and mm-hmm. and a basic chord progression. And then he'll kind of bring it to me uh, and whatever producer we're working with. And we kind of develop an arrangement from there. Right. Whereas with me, um, I literally compose music in my head all day long and it's I usually compose a song as a completed version entirely in my head oh wow (laughs) and um like all the parts and everything and then I grab the guitar and I figure out um those parts and um I like I know exactly what the drums are going to sound like I know what all the guitar parts are going to be and um and then you know so for me there's a lot of trust involved. Like if John Mike is writing a song with me, because I am the only one that hears it the way I hear it. Right. And he's learned over the years, thankfully, which is really cool. And I really appreciate it. He's learned over the years to just kind of let me get it out. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so have some of the other producers we've worked with, which has been really cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, but Aaron just Aaron Sprinkle, um, we had talked about working with him um, a lot lately and it's just been kind of something we were curious about. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of that question in the back of our minds, like I wonder how cool it could be to just work with Aaron again mm-hmm. because it had been like 10 years since we recorded with him. Yes. And so much had changed, 
you know, just John, Micah, and I were quote unquote the band now. So really, it was just the three of us that made this record. Yeah, Aaron and John, Micah, and myself. And um, um, and not only that, but we had all, we had become more confident as songwriters. We had become more confident in what we knew our skills were, yeah. and so had Aaron. In that ten years of time, he had gone through a lot of stuff, as had we personally that had really like caused him to grow um, personally and spiritually, but he had also made a lot of records and um, really like grown as a producer. Like yeah. he was always really good, but this time around um, Aaron just inherently understands what I'm about to do. Mm -hmm. um, and we found it to be really cool. Um, these 10 years later working together, he and I have become very similar um we, we think the same a lot. And so Aaron early on in the process really started to kind of, um, you, you phrased the question like, was it something I asked or was it something that was encouraged of right. me? Yep. Um, he early on in the process and John Micah, both of them really started to encourage me like, Hey man, we both think that you can bring a lot more to the table than you have been in the past. Um, because on our, uh, on our previous records, uh, I'd say the last several, um, I didn't really write a lot of music and I kind of like backed off a little bit and it wasn't for any sort of like reason, not, it wasn't intentional necessarily. I just didn't really feel like I could contribute that much to the songwriting. Okay. Um, and I didn't really feel like, um, well, being in a band is a lot about allowing other people's ideas to blossom as well. Mm -hmm. And in the, in the last several albums, we still had, you know, multiple members in the band. And so this record was different because we just had the freedom to just like John Micah was like, I know, you know how to write rock music. Just do it. Yeah. Give me, give me everything you got. And Aaron was like, you know, I think you should produce the guitars and I think you should produce the vocals. You'll kill it. It'll be totally good. Like, just call me, let me know if you have questions, what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And so John Micah and I actually recorded a lot of it out here in Oregon at his house in Southern Oregon with Aaron Sprinkle at his house in Nashville. Oh, <laughs> and wow. Nice. We were sharing um, file sessions in Pro Tools via a Dropbox folder. Yep. And so every time we would, um, we would hit save on a, on a take, it would automatically update in the session and Aaron could check what we had just done. Or like he and I would get on the phone real quick and I would be like, Hey, I'm thinking with John Micah's vocals on this spot, I'm going to have him try this melody and I would like sing it to him. I'd be like, Hey, I'm trying to get this certain tone out of John Micah as he sings. Mm -hmm. Um, what should I do to like tell him how to sing it or like what's, what about this preset on this um, preamp and, yeah. you know, and so I would just kind of bounce ideas off of Aaron and he'd be like, yeah, do this, do that. That's great. You're, you're doing great. And um, they both were just really encouraging, like, come on, James, you can do it. That's so, awesome. Well, and you even, you even dove into the drums aspect of it, right? Cause you said you heard that you hear the drums in your head. Yeah. So you were almost uh, typecast for the role for this album then, because especially yeah. if you're going back to your rock roots, yeah, 
Um, you're hearing it in your head, which I know yes. sounds weird, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah. You're, you're hearing the package. So yeah. they were just basically trying to figure out how to suck that out of your brain. And, and <laughs> right. yeah. And, and for the drums, um, we, uh, Aaron's brother, Jesse Sprinkle is an incredibly talented drummer. Um, they together have been in a couple bands and Jesse, uh, was in the band Demon Hunter and uh, a okay. band called Dead Poetic and, He's just a really in, incredible drummer. Mm-hmm. So um, when we were doing the drums, we cut the drums at a studio called Omni Sound in downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And I knew that like I had to fly to Nashville to be there to produce the drums. Um, so Aaron, Aaron and I talked about it, and we scheduled a date where I would fly in and Jesse would be there. And um, we did all the drums in two days and basically, I was just like, Jesse, here's what this pattern needs to sound like. It's got to go like this. And I would, you know, just kind of make drum sounds with my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I know a little bit of like music um, uh, theory and, and mm-hmm. um, the mechanics of like percussion and drumming and stuff. Because I was, I was in band um, and I was actually very uh, persistently pursuing um, a career in composition through, um, orchestral music, okay. uh, when I was in high school and I was working with, um, the music department at Oregon state university on, on getting a scholarship and going there for that. So I, I do understand how to talk, you know, uh, be sort of a quote unquote section leader and talk through different parts of instruments that I don't play. Right. And yeah. so I would talk to Jesse about this or like when he was in the live room doing a take, you know, he'd do something and I would, I would get on the talk back mic and I'd be like, Hey, Hey, no, not like that. You got to do it like such and such. Um, and so, and Aaron literally just sat back uh, on this couch and was just like smiling at me the whole time. Like, dude, this is really cool. And at the end of it, he pulled me aside and was like, dude, I'm really proud of you. That was awesome. Oh, that's great. Um, And so, yeah, it was a really fun process for me. Nice. Now, as the process uh, finished and the album was coming together, um, you know, getting to the mastering stage, did did you have to drop it at some point and let others take over? Or did you feel almost like this was your baby? You had to kind of see it through to the end. Well, I think the three of us really felt like it was our baby. And um, thankfully, like I said, Aaron and I think very similarly and, um, and, uh, no, I definitely didn't let it go at a certain point. I was, um, we got the first couple mixes back from, from this one song from a guy that our label had contracted to do the mixing and Aaron and I both really hated it. And yeah. so yeah. I called a friend of mine named Josh Auer. Um, he lives in, in California and he's, uh, He's incredible. He was in a band called Pax 217. Okay. Um, he played bass in that band and wrote a lot of music. And now he plays bass for Phil Wickham and produces a lot of Phil's um, live stuff. Okay. And um, he's he's also contracted through ABC, the, the television network, um, mm-hmm. for like songwriting and mixing and stuff. So I called Josh and I was like, dude, I know you want to do a rock record. 
Um, can I send you this song and have you mix it to spec and we'll just go from there. And then I was like, and if we like you, we literally need you to mix this record like this week. And he was like, okay. <laughs> so send him the song and immediately Aaron and I were like, yes, this mm, is yeah. perfect. Yeah. So from there over the next like week and a half, I was on the phone with Josh multiple times a day. We would talk through parts. But the cool thing was Josh inherently got it too, you know? Yeah. Like Aaron and I were very much hitting on the same cylinders, uh, and so was Josh. We were really impressed with him. And mm-hmm. um, when we sent it to Troy Glessner up at Spectre Studios in Tacoma, who, who we've used for mastering before because he's just sick. We mm-hmm. love him. Yeah. Troy was like, dude, this guy that makes this record is awesome. Who is he? <laughs> and it was really cool because it's basically it's Josh's first big record to mix. So okay, wow, it was awesome. that's great. So I listened to the whole album, and I'm a guitarist, so I was listening for guitars again. I produce, so I I know other instruments, so I'm I'm sort of in the same realm as you, where cool. you hear it in your head and you you know how to make it happen, and you want it to be a certain way. Um, so I listened for guitars and the, the sonic, um, flavor of it was definitely nineties, like definitely like the the rock roots. Um, (laughs) but the thing that I like about it is you were, um, it didn't take away from vocals. It it didn't, um, you know, the way it was mixed and mastered, it didn't take away from what you were actually trying to convey. I felt like it, it did. Um, and I'm not just trying to blow smoke. I'm, it, I felt like you accomplished your goal as you know in your rock roots, um, and but you still were able to focus on the purpose of the message. And I know you know like Bring It On, for example. I know kind of um, came around the same time as the shooting at um, yeah. the community college there, um, and mm-hmm. that really had an impact on people. And again, it it was a rock album, right? And I mean, your songs have hit Christian radio for sure. And again, there's a formulaic process in that, um, yeah. you know, having to trim songs back and all that kind of stuff. I do find that you you guys have been able to cross over between being doing what you want to do and still being relevant. And I think that's really the difference um, I've seen with you guys. Even um, as I've watched you guys over the years, you've never taken the ministry aspect out of it and just said you're a rock band. Yeah. Um, you've always been, well, you've been together for what, 14 years, yeah. fi- sort of officially. Um, yeah. For you, or you as a band, the process of producing and recording, would you say you prefer that over live, or they complement each other, or do you prefer the live aspect of the songs when they're written? I tend to feel that they complement each other. Um, but really my answer would be more like just philosophically, I really try to embrace every aspect of this and, um, every moment that I'm in. And Mm -hmm. I love writing music. I love recording the music and I love being on tour. I love playing the shows and I love people. Um, and so I, I really enjoy doing this, like a oh, lot. Awesome. So yeah. this this is um, ministry first uh, kind of a mentality for you. Yeah, and every aspect of it is part of the ministry to me. Like if if my 
calling in ministry was that I was serving at a church locally, and that's all I was doing, and as in I was not traveling. I would say that um, studying for the message or rehearsing with the worship team to like play some songs that weekend or um, making sure that the uh, nursery room was stocked with enough diapers. That <laughs> right. Or, you know, making sure that the trees in the foyer were watered. I would honestly view all of that as aspects of the ministry, like um, uh, making sure this this couple that just, you know, had a baby the other day, but the dad uh, was laid off and he's off of work, like making sure people are bringing them dinner this week, you know, mm, yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. Like all of that is different aspects of the ministry to me. And in Cutlass, which is where I feel called to minister, um, everything of it, everything is is part of the ministry. Our our mm-hmm. conversation right now is part of this ministry to me. Like yeah. with other believers and create relationships and share our message in, in any way we can. And mm-hmm. hopefully people will listen to this podcast and be touched and, yeah. and want to just serve the Lord deeper. Yeah. So every aspect of this I love. The album itself lends itself to that. I mean, you're talking about struggle, especially as a male, you know, like how do you deal with, with difficult circumstances and situations? Um, so there's definitely a relevant message, especially looking at Facebook feeds and news and what's happening in the world. Um, definitely you um, you have a voice and an ability to influence people. And uh, that's what blesses me when I see guys out there that are are about that. Like, and I know you, you guys try to involve a portion of your concert to talking about why Jesus is so important in our lives. Um, that yeah. is, it's not all about a rock concert. You can love music and appreciate that God designed it and we can do it well. But at the end of the day, what, where is your hope? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We, um, several years ago, John, Mike and I started a, nonprofit organization that is a evangelical outreach ministry um, called End of the Age Ministries. And uh, if listeners want to check out that website, it's um, the acronym for End of the Age. So E-O-T-A ministries.com. And um, the reason that we started this is because we wanted to facilitate um, doing large-scale evangelical outreach um, as a band, as a means of our touring and our concerts. Um, and so we've been just purposefully making sure that we're sharing the gospel in our shows, um, giving people the opportunity to respond to a salvation message. Um, and so we worked with um, Faith Life which is a um, division of Logos Bible Software up in Bellingham, Washington. Okay, yeah. And Faith Life helped us develop this app um, that we use now at our shows, and the app tracks responses for people who, um, you know, respond to salvation that night. But it it provides that it's free, and it's called Respond with a question mark. with an exclamation point. Okay. Respond exclamation point on the app store for Android or Apple. Um, and, um, it, it's free and it provides people with, um, a digital Bible 
a resource that I wrote that we call the New Believers Journal, mm-hmm. which is a seven-day journal that walks them through basically the fundamentals of Christianity and why they prayed what they just prayed, you know, yeah. and why why that works, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, it just talks about like, well, what is forgiveness? What is mercy? What is grace? How are mercy and grace different? What is fellowship? You know, yeah, yeah. and it's uh, just this resource that I wrote to have on there, and um, we so we um, we really just felt like our calling has always been the same. But the vision of it sort of shifted into like hyper focus in the last several years in that um, we feel this uh, responsibility to share this message um, Mm -hmm. and uh, and it's a healthy responsibility. It's a healthy pressure. Like I feel good about it. I don't feel guilted. I feel like joyful about it. It's awesome that we get to share the gospel with people everywhere we go. Mm -hmm. And what we really wanted to do is integrate it into our show because that keeps people's attention the best. Mm-hmm. We've noticed as a band who is a rock band that also has worship music out there, yep. we, we are often in a very interesting position because I really can't think of another band who could play um, a direct support festival position right before Chris Tomlin or right before Skillet. <laughs> That's right. It's just, it's weird. We're the band that can do that. And yes. oftentimes we're right before a speaker. Mm-hmm. And we noticed that um, right as we were wrapping up and the speaker was about to speak, um, if you've ever been to a concert, you know that this is impossible. But let's say it's a really quick changeover between Cutlass and the speaker, and it's five seconds. Mm-hmm. That's too long. Yeah, The crowd checks out entirely because they can feel us as a band winding things down leading up to our last song. Right. And they know that it's over and they know that so-and-so is going to come out. And so he loses their attention. And for the first like five to ten minutes of his talking, he's usually trying to like be funny or be loud or like somehow like with a gimmick, like capture attention again. Yeah, draw them back in, yeah. And the thing is, we have just spent an hour doing that on stage. Yeah. Taking them on a journey that keeps their attention. And we really felt like it was a huge missed opportunity to not integrate the gospel into our music, into the performance itself, so that like, um, like it just flows right into this message time where people are already connected with their hearts to what we're singing about and sharing on stage. They're already connected to us and we have this perfect opportunity with them to really share with them Jesus's will for their lives Mm -hmm. and they're open to it. And the cool thing is when we do this, like you'll see Nobody gets up and walks away and goes to concessions. Nobody's on their phone. Like literally everybody is paying attention mm-hmm. and it's just been such a huge blessing to do that. So oh, that's great. Yeah. Now, and as you've been on tour, I noticed um, you had different people playing different styles, even um, Mark Schultz, for example, David Dunn. Um, we've had David Dunn on our podcast. Um, the dude is real. <laughs> Uh, he shared some good insight with us. Um, cool. 
yeah, Russia Fools. Um, I'm yes. just going through. I watched one of the videos where it was promoting the tour. Again, I'm in PEI Canada, so I didn't get the opportunity <laughs> to, <Right>. to <laughs> see you live. But uh, um, I just think that's great, uh, having different diversity throughout the tour. Um, it's And uh, I don't get the sense that you guys are trying to be like the super headliner. That, yeah, because of your ministry mindset, you'll fit yourself in whatever's going to work best for whatever event is happening. Um, Do you guys sort of talk about that as you're invited to a place? Um, Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely we do. No, that's great. Um, We try and, uh, as much as is possible, we try and accommodate what um, whatever the vision is for the event that we're booked at you know Mm -hmm. yeah um like uh you know sometimes we just gotta change up our set list and stuff too and yeah we usually try and know about that ahead of time so that we're prepared and rehearsed and everything but Mm -hmm. um yeah we definitely try and consider those things great no i don't want to take any more of your time but i do appreciate you uh you sharing some of your experience uh, through this process. Um, Thank you. And uh, again, I've listened to the album Surrender. Uh, we'll probably be doing an album review on our site as well to cool. sh- share it with others. So go get it. I'm assuming it's everywhere, but I mean, it's on your website as well, cutlass.com. Um, and you, of course you have swag and other things that people can buy. Um, and um, I'll put the links to the app you talked about um, as well in our show notes so people can can click out to those things awesome thank you and um yeah and i mean blessings to you guys we appreciate what you're doing and uh you know we look forward to talking to you hopefully joe can connect with you maybe even in person since he's out there yeah and uh, we can talk deeper about some of the songs um because again there's a lot of different songs um that i i wanted to dive into that we can at a later date um, you know, the, the purpose behind them and the heart behind it and, uh, the impact that they've had, but overall the, I mean, the album is solid and, uh, um, I wish you guys the best of success, um, not just because of the music, but because of what you're doing, uh, as you move forward and travel around. So, uh, blessings to you guys. And I appreciate you talking to us today. Thank you, Dan. All right. Thanks so much, James. All right, bye. Okay, take care. Frequency.fm is a podcast featuring Christian artists, authors, creatives, and experts. For more music reviews, book reviews, and articles, please visit us at Frequency.fm.